welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is June 2nd, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me from New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hey, Neil. Hey, Sarah. Good to be here this morning. Absolutely. And from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we we usually start off the show with something silly going on, a, a bad bet Jeff has made, or a baseball dice game Neil has played. But it, it feels wrong to me this week to try for some lighthearted banter with so much heaviness hanging over the whole country. So I'm just going to jump right into the show. Today, we're going to take a look at how the sports world has responded to the death of George Floyd after a Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes. This was not long after the killing of Breonna Taylor by Louisville police and the delayed police response to the fatal shooting of Ahmaud Arbery by two men in Georgia. We want to look at where sports leagues stand, what players are saying and doing, and whether this moment feels different than other times when there's been increased visibility of police violence against Black Americans. Specifically, the protests in the NFL started by former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick after the police killings in 2016 of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. There is no rabbit hole this week. This is just the show. So before we start, if you're not in a headspace where it makes sense to listen to three white sports journalists talk about the events of this past week and the systemic oppression of Black people in America, that's okay. Please take care of yourself and we'll talk to you next time. So let's begin with the statement released by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on May 30th, five days after Floyd was killed and in the midst of massive protests across the U.S. This take is just a statement, no video or audio. So, Neil, would you mind reading it for us? Sure. So this was it. The NFL family is greatly saddened by the tragic events across our country. The protesters' reactions to these incidents reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. Our deepest condolences go out to the family of Mr. George Floyd and to those who have lost loved ones, including the families of Miss Brianna Taylor in Louisville and Mr. Ahmad Arbery, the cousin of Tracy Walker of the Detroit Lions. As current events dramatically underscore, there remains much more to do as a country and as a league. These tragedies inform the NFL's commitment and our ongoing efforts. There remains an urgent need for action. We recognize the power of our platform and communities and as part of the fabric of American society. We embrace that responsibility and are committed to continuing the important work to address these systemic issues together with our players, clubs, and partners. Thanks. So there was plenty of criticism of the statement, notably from two NFL players who had joined Kaepernick and kneeling during the national anthem, Houston receiver Kenny Stills and former San Francisco safety Eric Reed. Goodell's statement came out on the same day as an op-ed by former NFL communications head Joe Lockhart, who confirmed that Kaepernick was frozen out of opportunities in the NFL because of the peaceful protests he led. Jeff, are you at all surprised with the way Goodell chose to address everything going on? Do you mean specifically, am I surprised that he put out a statement like this or surprised that he didn't? do something in another fashion or another way. Well, both, I mean, yes. well, I think it, he's in a lose-lose situation because of what happened with Kaepernick. I, I think everyone at this point knows that he was essentially um, blacklisted in the NFL. It, it was definitely a collusion on part of the 32 owners to keep him from having a job. And 
there's no way around that. No matter what Goodell could say in that high profile case, you know, the NFL failed him for someone who was just standing up for, for something he believed in. So in that way, in that, if you, if you take that as a fact, then what is Goodell going to possibly say that does not look hypocritical? I think him putting out a statement is the right call. And I think we also have to remember that the NFL and specifically Goodell, you know, we like to think of them as this corporation that has all this power, but he's not. He's a man who works for 32 owners and it's the 30. He's essentially, you know, doing their bidding. It, 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 there's no way to avoid the obvious elephant in the room, which is the hypocrisy over the Kaepernick thing. Yeah. And I mean, for a league like the NFL, where I think we wrote about it at the time when Kaepernick was um, protesting, this is the most popular sport in America. And it's also the one that had the most bipartisan support. And so it's like trying to walk on that tightrope over this issue where you know, to, to many of us, one, one side seems obviously right. And the other side seems obviously wrong that you're, they still insisted on trying to kind of have it all possible ways. And this is a continuation of that, I think. And we can't forget the fact that this is a league where, you know, nine different owners contributed millions of dollars to Trump's, uh, inaugural, uh, events. You know, it's like these guys, I think at the top, the, the people that you talk about, Jeff, that, that Goodell works for, they are definitely along the political end of the spectrum that doesn't care about this issue. Uh, and so that, I think, also shows up in statements like this, where it's like every corporation now over the weekend has to make some kind of statement, and they're trying to word it in a way that offends as few people as possible and with the nfl there's that and then on top of that there's all the baggage from uh what they did to kaepernick a few years ago i guess i'm not sure that they did have to make a statement i mean is a is a statement that's you know empty or vague or just disingenuous worth making i mean i did the mlb i don't think has even the nba hasn't um we've heard things leaked from from Adam Silver's office and the NBA like coaches association did, but the league itself didn't like come out with a statement, which I found kind of interesting. So like, if you're going to say something that is nothing, I mean, there's no actionable items in this statement. There's no, like there's nothing they're going to do. Right. And maybe there's nothing anyone can do, but there's definitely nothing in that statement that the NFL is going to do. So why, why put that out? especially when you have shown yourself to not care about peaceful protests. The the issue has not been important enough for you to continue to support a possibly divisive athlete. Um, so like what even can they do that would show that they care about this issue? Well, I mean, maybe they believe that when they look at the the social justice campaign that they started, I think it was two years ago, uh, the Inspire Change Initiative. And, and that has given money and grants, you know, to nonprofits and all of that. But, you know, an average of 50000 per nonprofit for a league that made $16 billion uh, uh, a couple of years ago. I, I agree with you that other leagues haven't necessarily made official statements in this way. But I think Adam Silver is a great counterexample to Goodell in a lot of different ways because I think there's so much more trust between the players and him, you know, that he does have a commitment to this than the players could ever have in the NFL based on the actions of the NFL. And so, I mean, they could have even done something where 
as part of their statement, they could have apologized to Kaepernick. I mean, that I think would have gone some way toward, you know, a genuine expression, especially in light of the the Joe Lockhart um, piece uh, that basically admitted that he was frozen out. Uh, and so there, there are things like that that they could do, but instead it just seemed like it was another one of these. And the NFL is not alone, even if other sports leagues have sort of stayed silent in some cases. I mean, we're seeing corporations that donated to Trump also at the same time uh, put out these kind of mealy-mouthed non you know, statements or whatever to try to, I guess, appeal to, I, I, I don't know what the purpose is because I don't know who is not being fooled by this. Um, but apparently they think that no one can see through it. Yeah. It's like, there's a, a box to check off that you, that you have to put out some kind of statement. Right. Then, um, you know, they should have actually composed it in the notes app uh, <laughs> of their phone and put it out like, like so many athletes are doing. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point, Sarah. I think that the idea of no statement, um, I think there's, you know, Goodell is smart enough to know how hypocritical this looks. And I think he, he obviously weighed that. But I do think this distinction needs to keep being made about the owners versus the league itself. They work for the owners. They weren't going around saying, don't, don't, don't hire Kaepernick. It was a bunch of owners saying, I don't want that guy on my team. I don't, he's a, he's a third rail. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, you know, piss off half my fan base. And they all kind of agree that no one wants that. And and then Goodell has to listen to them because that's his job. No, I, I think that's that's a good point. And and the if Joe Lockhart has is to be believed in his accounting of what happened, um, you know, his op ed talked about how Goodell did go to league owners and tried to yeah. convince people to take another chance on Kaepernick. So I'm I, I mean I think I, I think that's fair, but it's still you know, he didn't, it's not like he came out publicly in support of Kaepernick and maybe he right. can't. I, I, yeah, I don't you think know. he can. I don't think he can. And that's why he's in such a terrible position. And I don't know why I became the world's biggest Roger yeah, Goodell. What is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what is happening? Um, anyway. Yeah. And Goodell showed, I mean, Goodell showed that he had a lot of latitude to act, you know, uh, at least on, on what he believed to be the league's behalf when it came to player punishments, you know, and, and um, some of the player conduct stuff that they put in. So it, it really is kind of selective about when he feels like he can exert his power versus when he can sort of say, oh, you know, there's nothing I can do. You know, I, I also think in terms of response, this is a tricky one because we're talking about like 250 years of systemic racism. This is not something you can just, this isn't disaster relief or something like that that you can just write a check and throw money at and pat yourself on the back so a lot of this has to come in the form of these statements and these you know blanket um you know messages of support because there's not really another thing to do besides for something extreme which i don't think he can do because of who he works for like apologizing to colin kaepernick and also i think his probably his lawyers would probably recount if he did that at that point considering there's been lawsuits and stuff like that sure i mean you know it's not like roger goodell is alone and not wanting any of this to be happening no one wants any of this no, to be no, happening. No, i know i'm just saying like no i know but like but this is the thing like this is the world we live in and if you and and you can either put your head in the sand or you can try to do something about it right and you know when we're talking about <laughs> systemic problems in society these institutions have a lot to do with that. I mean, racism in the NFL is 
real and constant. And it shows up in all of these, it shows up in specific ways, along with just being an underlying problem all the time. I mean, it shows up in specific ways, like coach hiring, which again, there's, there's this, like this effort to put PR spins on things to make it look like they're doing something without addressing the underlying issues of owners hiring people who look like them. There are not enough, there's no diversity in the ownership. There's no diversity in the coaching. Like there are, there are specific problems there that they could be trying to address. And they're just these half measures aren't going to do it. And I think if there's anything these leagues should be learning from these protests is that PR things are not helpful or wanted right now. Right, right. It is self-interest, of course. I do think in many ways the sports world, and and in some cases even more so the NFL, is just a mirror on society. It's showing, you know, underlying racism that exists everywhere. It's not the cause of it. It's just it manifests itself in the NFL because it is part of society. And and that's what you see. And, and, And to that point... The issue with the coaches, you know, we talked about how this goes all the way to high school football. This goes to youth football. This is something that happens um, throughout the country, not just at the top level of football. And the only reason we talk about it at the top level of football, because it's the, you know, it's the most high profile and it's the most right. easy to discuss. And they also, you know, have this very problematic rule, which is the, you're right. There's always good intention it doesn't do anything. I do understand there's a cynical approach that what's the point. But at the same time, I don't think there's any value in not doing it. I mean, what that just feels like giving up. But obviously, more is needed to be done. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I think, you know, we're not going to wake up. You know, the protests will likely stop at some point soon. Um, but the problem won't be over. We won't have solved racism. Um, and maybe I'm expecting too much from sports leagues to have plans or, um, you know, specific calls to action for things given who they represent and how many, you know, what kinds of swath of America they're trying to appeal to. Right. I mean, they made specific decisions that sort of put themselves in this box too. Like for instance, the decision to wrap themselves in the flag and the military and all of this, especially after 9-11 and through the Iraq war and everything that sort of made people more inclined to think football equals flag equals American military might. Uh, So then when Colin Kaepernick protested during the national anthem, it was much more likely to be seen as, oh, he's anti-military, he's anti, uh, you know, America, which is not at all what he meant. Right. If, if you're if you're trapped inside the bubble of your own worldview, you can't actually see coming. But that's the whole problem. I mean, that's the whole problem right there with the Kaepernick issue is that became a, this false choice. It, it, and a lot of this was promoted by, you know, Fox News and the president himself saying that because he kneels in protest of something, he's against the troops. And which is not at all what anyone with what Colin Kaepernick was saying at all, if anything. And, and this has been said many times is that Colin Kaepernick is a patriot. He does care about America. He wants America to improve on this horrible problem that is affecting so many people. And he's exercising uh, free speech. And he's exercising free speech. But it, it got hijacked, you know, by Mike Pence walking out and making a big show of it, that all of a sudden he's against um, he's against the troops and all this because of this song, you know, which was never the point. You know, I was remembering how how the 
Kaepernick protest started and that the first game in a preseason game that anyone noticed that he wasn't standing for the anthem. He wasn't kneeling. He was actually sitting. He just sat and didn't stand up for it. And then he met with uh, uh, someone from the military, Nate Boyer is his name, and they talked about a way for Kaepernick to still pay his respects to the military while while protesting the national anthem, the symbol of the country writ large, not the military. And that's how he decided to kneel. Nate Boyer, who counseled him through that, is like still working with the NFL. He's doing this whole series with the NFL on something. And, and like that is very telling to me that someone who told him to kneel is still, that's fine. This white man who told him to kneel, that's fine. Kaepernick who did it, not okay. And not going to work in this league ever again. I mean, that just says so much about what we, how we perceive things and and what, how narrative just becomes reality in so many ways. And I, I mean, the thing that I fault most about Goodell is that he did not do enough to say that, to to yeah. stand for his player in that situation. And that's where his statement rang hollow. Yeah. So back while these protests were happening in 2016 and 2017, we ran a bunch of stories about how Americans were viewing the sideline protest against police brutality. Neil, how were people feeling then about football brushing up against issues of racial justice? Yeah. So at the time, um, in general, a plurality of Americans didn't like the protests, at least if they uh, weren't told what the players' goals were. And that seems to speak to sort of this general dislike of protests involving the flag or the anthem uh, that, that come up, you know, and when you ask people about things like flag burning and, and all of that, that uh, that is sort of part of the same uh, line of thought by by a certain segment of Americans. Um but, you know, most Americans uh, at the time even thought racism was a big problem in the U.S. And that was a huge increase over the the share of the country that thought that it was a big problem just, I think, five years earlier. Uh, and I think what we're seeing now is that, you know, the the more acceptance and even the fact that the NFL even in that statement that we just criticized, uh, would put out a statement and that all these brands would put out statements. And as we'll talk about in a little bit, all these players are going to put out statements. I think that speaks about the general attitude uh, kind of progressing in the direction that Kaepernick was sort of at the forefront of four years ago. Uh, and so I think that's what you see in a lot of cases, right? You know, if, if you'd ask people about Martin Luther King's, you know, civil rights protests in the 1960s, at the time, they were not favored. But, uh, the, the vast majority of Americans uh, had a negative view of them. And now, uh, you know, you would be hard pressed to find anyone who had a negative view uh, of Martin Luther King or the civil rights movement. And so I think what we find time and again, and this happens with athletes too, Muhammad Ali uh, is a good example. Their very definition protests in the moment are unpopular because the status quo, they're protesting against a status quo that the majority of people are either passively okay with or gaining from. And, and only with the passage of time, do these things tend to get viewed more favorably because society kind of moves and catches up uh, to to the mindset of the the people at the forefront of the protest? And so I think even now we're kind of seeing that play out in real time in in a short a period of time as four years even we're seeing a, a much more willingness to speak out now. All of this is playing out against the backdrop of a pandemic that hasn't gone away. The, the statements that people have made have indicated that 
athletes are a lot more comfortable expressing themselves and, and showing solidarity now than they even were four years ago. You know, thinking back, I've been thinking a a lot this past week about the work that Con Kaepernick did to raise awareness of of how police treat Black Americans. And this moment sort of it just crystallizes for me what he was trying to do. How does this affect how you guys think about Kaepernick and and his legacy and and the way he was treated by the league? Neil mentioned Muhammad Ali, who walked away from the prime of his career as the best boxer in the world for a cause. And the the amount of courage that took and the amount of sacrifice in in his own livelihood that that took is just that level of of sort of, you know, bravery and um, honor. I I was cynical to think that that would ever happen again. And then I think Kaepernick in his own sort of smaller regard, uh, maybe not smaller considering how big, of a high profile case, this was did in some ways the same thing. And it, it was incredibly rare and it was incredibly inspiring to see someone do that. So he's always had the utmost respect for me. So I, I don't think it, this did anything to, um, you know, change my opinion of him. It's not like, oh, you know, Colin was on to something. It's great that, you know, his awareness is still being felt today and it's still being talked about today. It's, never more relevant than it is, you know, literally today. Yeah. And and if anything, this is kind of proof that of something that you could kind of sense at the time, which is that history was going to regard him for what he did in, in the moment of, you know, sparking this movement and, and uh, beginning the protests far more than he did uh, for anything that he did as a quarterback, which by the way, especially early, early in his career, amazing quarterback. Um, but uh, I think that this kind of solidifies that his legacy is going to be as, you know, a civil rights pioneer, just in the same conversation with, you know, all of the other people that we just talked about. Joe Lockhart argued in his piece that the, the Minnesota Vikings should sign Kaepernick right now to show they're serious about racial justice to help try to heal Minneapolis, um, which I thought was a really interesting idea. But Neil is there. Any chance that a team would hire Kaepernick now? I mean, it's probably higher now than it was back when he had that sham workout that we (laughs) talked about back in, when was that, like November or something? You know, as we said at the time, and Tony Chow and I did a video uh, kind of trying to pinpoint how good would Kaepernick be in 2019, and I guess now it would be into 2020, and he would be... You know, based on our projections, at least, he would be a good backup level quarterback who, you know, potentially could step in if someone got injured and, you know, acquit himself fine. I think that's the expectation that you would have from someone that was roughly as good as he was when he left the game and then also after years of not playing. And again, there's like an off chance that he could really help a team, too. I mean, that's the other thing is that that potential that he had you know, that type of thing doesn't go away. You know, maybe some of it will be lessened with age, but I mean, the guy still had one of the greatest arms uh, we, we've seen, especially from a quarterback who could throw in the run. And I know this is not about, you know, this conversation is about a lot more than him as a, as a player, but at the same time, there's still the argument to be had that you should take a flyer on him anyway. So if, if it also helps kind of build goodwill and, and men's fences at the same time, why not? Yeah. You know, this, 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 I think the, 
the cynics out there would say would accuse it of being a publicity stunt, which is sad. I do think it is. There, there were many teams in the last few years who had an op- who needed a quarterback and were turning to some truly dreadful. <laughs> I mean, think about the Jets when I Darnold wanna, was out. I always want to say Tom Tom Savage, um, <laughs> but you know, truly, he's always the, the my go to terrible replacement level quarterback. But truly <laughs> terrible quarterbacks, and it, it, all they needed was a little guts to sign Kaepernick and to say, you know, if you if you're really going to hate the team because of this and that's your policy, then don't come, don't root for us, root for someone else. They were a lot, they had a lot of opportunities, countless opportunities to do this and they blew every one of them. Yeah. Well, and now you don't have to worry about people not showing up because there probably won't be fans in the stands uh, when they play anyway. So who cares? You won't even have to deal with like booze or any, anything like that from fans. It's really the perfect opportunity. Okay, let's leave this here and take a quick break. Then we'll talk about how current players have been responding to these protests. Obviously, the NFL was not the only league responding to the widespread protests over the weekend. We saw a ton of players and coaches and sports personalities do everything from retweeting a statement to participating in and even leading protests. There are a couple of things that make this moment notable. One is that, as Neil said earlier, there's still very little actual sports happening. So athletes are bound by the on the court, off the court divide that we might normally see. San Jose Sharks winger Evander Kane went on ESPN's first take to talk about why it's so important for athletes, particularly white athletes, to participate in the push for change. That's the point. You know, we need we need so many more athletes that don't look like me speaking out about this, having the same amount of outrage that I have inside and and, and using that to voice their opinion, to voice their frustration, because that's the only way it's going to change. We've been outraged for hundreds of years and, and, and nothing's changed. Uh, you know, it's time for guys like, you know, Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby and, and, and those type of figures to speak up about what is right and, and, and clearly in this case, what is unbelievably wrong because that's the only way we're going to actually create that unified anger to create that necessary change, especially when you talk about systematic racism. Tom Brady did post a couple of Players Coalition statements on his Instagram story, and he posted a picture of George Floyd with the hashtag Justice for Floyd and a praying hands emoji. So there was something from Brady. Jeff, if Tom Brady spoke out more substantially about police brutality and racial justice, could that move the needle in a significant way? Of course it would move the needle. I think it would it would be a big statement. Um, I, I don't know if it would move the needle in terms of solving any any of these problems but i think it would be um you know it would be powerful again though it, it's a little bit of a, a missed opportunity because here we are you know with no football and no real soapbox and no platform for these guys to actually do something when when all all eyes are on them and if if he had done something like neil you know, at the time, you know, the Kaepernick thing was going down or, or, or do something to show solidarity in the moment when everyone was focused on the NFL and how NFL players were reacting to this. It obviously would have been more powerful. And yeah, that's a great point, Jeff. I mean, I found this list uh, that I think said 204 
players in the NFL took a knee or otherwise, you know, had a raised fist, et cetera, uh, in protest in week three of the 2017 season. And the number of them that were quarterbacks, zero, zero quarterbacks uh, uh, took a knee. So I think it, it would go a long way for, you know, somebody of Brady's visibility and also his stature in the game to kind of make that public showing. And I think the onus is going to be along a lot of these guys. You know, I was interested for for a story that we're doing. I tallied up, I looked at um, Twitter and Instagram and tallied up the number of starters or guys that could be starters at quarterback uh, who made some kind of statement or retweeted something or, you know, kind of acknowledged on uh, over the weekend uh, what had happened with with the protests and with George Floyd. And uh, 17 quarterbacks uh, made posts about it, which, you know, that's still what, like half of starting quarterbacks, basically. But at the same time, that's a lot more than maybe you would have seen back in 2017, even. And I think, yeah, the onus is going to be on these guys to kind of follow it up with their actions in addition to their words on the notepad app and um, when the games actually start. I do think for someone like Brady or, or you know, Peyton Manning or, you know, some of the older school quarterbacks, you know, particularly back when this was going on for someone like a, a white traditional kind of conservative quarterback to have said, you know, this isn't a political issue. This is a life and death issue. And, and I, you know, I'm against police killings of black Americans. Think of how that would have, that could have been, seen by their fans people who who aren't necessarily you know prone to listen to what's going on with other races i do think that could have had a real difference just in their capacity as role models to people who who don't think about these kinds of things because it doesn't affect their lives and that's where i think it's disappointing for for someone to only go as far as a praying hands emoji instead of saying out loud, police brutality is wrong. Black lives matter. I mean, that though, that could, you know, it's seen as political, which sucks because it shouldn't be, it should just be as, you know, this is a true thing that we should be valuing the lives of our fellow people. And we should be aware of the fact that, that there is systemic racism in this country. I, I just, I feel like those, the quarterbacks back then could have done more. I think you're right, Neil, that, you know, the quarterbacks right now who are talking, who are speaking out, who maybe aren't, you know, they have a lot at risk. That was the other thing about Tom Brady. I don't think he was going to lose some huge following. He was still going to be, you know, a highly paid quarterback. He was still going to be married to Giselle. Like his life was going to be okay. Even if he had stepped out and supported his, you know, his, his black teammates, but like a quarterback, like Joe Burrow, he has a lot to lose. He's, you know, he hasn't played an NFL game. He's just a rookie. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, coming off of a hugely successful college season. He won the Heisman. He was the number one draft pick, but he still hasn't made it in the NFL. Um, so I think I was more, I'm more impressed by what Joe Burrow said than what that Tom Brady finally, you know, posted a, a praying hands emoji. And I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, still the, the vast majority of quarterbacks are white. Uh, the fact that there are so many white 
quarterbacks sort of making statements about this, at least now, maybe does also reflect a changing attitude uh, among white liberals in, in uh, particular. There was a Pew poll that sort of asked people um, a few years ago, you know, whether they thought racial discrimination was the main reason why black Americans couldn't get ahead or, or still, you know, were living in poverty. Uh, and, you know, up through from the 2000s through about 2012, fewer than 40% of white liberals agreed with that statement. By 2016, 72% agreed with that statement. And I think that, you know, political scientists will tell you that that flip, that turn among white liberals toward social justice, which was part of, you know, done, uh, happened after the work of Kaepernick uh, in in, uh, a lot of ways, that that is, I think, a part of why we also have seen a different response among even, you know, quarterbacks who are traditionally this very kind of conservative, almost totally white position in, in throughout NFL history, actually acknowledging this as a problem. And in a lot of cases, also acknowledging the the reality of their privilege as white people. Yeah, that has been that has been really interesting to me. I remember. So it was a couple of years ago when um, Kyle Korver an NBA player who wrote in the Players' Tribune uh, a pretty moving piece about white privilege and about about him realizing his white privilege. That I thought, you know, again, those kinds of things, those are for other, other white players and for white fans. That's not something that needed to be explained to his black teammates, but he was he was writing that to explain to other white players and, and other white people how he realized what kind of privilege he had um, just in, just in never having been, um, you know, oppressed at all for the color of his skin. And that, I mean, that just realizing that I think is still important. Um, I think there are still so much that white athletes can do to, to make that kind of a difference to, talk about those things so that it's not just something that black players have to deal with, but that white players make clear to white fans that this is a thing. This is important. We need to pay attention to this. This moment in time feels different to me than previous police killings and previous social unrest. Is that because of the protest work that Colin Kaepernick did that this isn't like a surprise to anyone that people were were ready for this when it happened again. Is this because of the backdrop of the coronavirus or has this just been, you know, four more years of us all seeing heartbreaking and horrible videos of those killings blow up on social media? I mean, probably all of the above, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a combination of factors. I mean, I think this time is unique. You have millions of people unemployed you have a lot of pain, a lot of anger out there. And then the fact that this issue did not go away. If anything, it got worse based on this um, president and his attitude, especially towards this specific issue of, of, of police brutality. Um, and in many ways, you know, I, I agree with, you know, people calling it a tinderbox or the powder keg and that it, it was it was ready to blow at any time. And and. Um, what happened to George Floyd was in many ways the spark, but also I think the video itself was just so horrible. I mean, it was one of the, if not the worst video I've ever seen. And I think that the pure graphicness of that, you know, caused the spark to happen. But I, but I, I but I don't think this has gone anywhere. This nothing was solved. You know, it just it just didn't have the national spotlight 
the last couple of years, mainly because that spotlight was <laughs> absorbed by other problems. But it was inevitable that this was going to, you know, come up again because it hadn't been fixed. If anything, it had gotten worse. Where do you guys think we go from here? What are, you know, again, the protests will die down, but how do we move forward? I mean, that's that's a great question. Um, I think everybody's trying to figure out that. I mean, I think, you know, there are things that we can do personally in our lives to, you know, stare down the reality of our own privilege and also stare down the reality of what African-Americans are going through in this country every day that, you know, we don't recognize and, and necessarily it's not visible to us, you know, because we are kind of insulated from it. And there's, you know, there's things that we can donate to. The issue sometimes seems so large, but I think that the advantage of a league like the NFL, which is nothing if not for the thousand plus players that make up the league, is that it is a group of people that have a platform and they also have, thanks to people like Kaepernick, they are kind of more recognizing the value of using that platform to try to help with any issue, but especially with this. I mean, I thought it was interesting that, you know, I tracked the number of quarterbacks that also mentioned COVID-19 just as kind of like a a comparison point. And so 25 quarterbacks talked about that, whereas only 17 had made statements uh, about uh, the protests and about George Floyd's death. But, you know, I think when we get to the point where all of these things are able to be talked about openly and we realize that like we've been saying the whole time that it's a it's a human rights issue it's not a divisive like people say it's divisive there's no reason why it should be divisive that the police shouldn't kill someone in broad daylight in front of god and everyone and so i think that maybe this is also just a sign that attitudes are kind of changing to that because of what we've seen from the reception of so many athletes feeling compelled to share their feelings in a way that they didn't. I just think that that's part of a larger trend where people are kind of recognizing this more and more as a problem and being less afraid to talk about it. And that's sort of the first step to solving anything is like actually acknowledging that it exists. And and we're seeing more of that and more people with platforms from sports do that. Yeah, there's no quick i mean this is the frustrating thing with problems like this and specifically this problem is that there's no overnight fix it's not going to change it's systemic obviously there's things that can be done in terms of police reform that can help um but it's going to take education it's going to take time it's going to take each generation coming up with a, a different attitude than the the generation above them um so Without there's no overnight fix, and it's certainly not going to be fixed by the sports world. I think the sports world is valuable as you know a way to put a spotlight on issues that aren't being discussed. But beyond that, it will go go back to what I said earlier. It is just a reflection of society. But we, we can't we can't expect uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers to solve this problem. But, but I do think it is important that, you know, like, I'm sorry, but with the whole thing with Deadspin and the stick to sports and all that, I think that if anything, maybe we can bring a depth to that issue, meaning that this, the idea that we can just put things in buckets, like sports is over here and, and no politics is allowed around that. You know, this is, you know, we all, you know, stand for the flag and, and, and love America and, and enjoy our Sundays of football. And then we go back to our politics. It's, it's not, you can't, they're intertwined. Um, this is society 
and you can just avoid that altogether. And at this particular moment, there are literally no sports to stick to. And I think that might actually play a role also in sort of athletes feeling compelled is that there's there's no distraction. There's nothing to sort of take away from the reality and the brutality of the of what's at hand. And I, I mean, I think your point is well made, Jeff, that we can't expect a specific NFL quarterback to change 400 years of racism <laughs> um, any more than we can expect any individual one of ourselves to be able to change that. But the, you know, the point is in the attempt to make ourselves better, make our immediate spheres better, you know, do what we can where we are to root out racism. And so I hope that athletes still feel like they can do what they can what they can do that they that they have the support of leagues and owners and teammates to speak out where they can um, and change what they can because that's really all any of us can do right yeah and look in the 60s with with not just Muhammad Ali but Bill Russell and Arthur Ashe and John Carlos and the guys raising their fist at the Olympics you know it it, it there was a time when athletes were at the forefront of, of, of a lot of these issues and then I think for for multiple decades it became this this sort of third rail where you know it was it was publicity driven they were like oh got to stay away from that don't want to weigh in you know right. like i'm not a politician and that kind of thing so if anything maybe we can sh- go back to a time when athletes did hold an important role in, in a lot of these societal societal issues that that will hopefully in its small impact lead to progress yeah, sports as a catalyst for change, um, I think would be welcome to to us anyway, to the three of us anyway. All right, I think we can leave this discussion here. Thank you guys for taking on this topic with me and thank you listeners for hearing us out. These are such difficult issues to talk about, but it's important that we keep talking. We will be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.